Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 with me? Luke chapter 4, as we're just about three weeks away from Christmas Day, and we're in that season of the year where many people are thinking about the coming of Jesus to this earth, and I do understand that there's many misunderstandings about what the incarnation really means. But I'd like to take the next couple of weeks here and preach to you from Luke chapter 4. And we'll take this passage here in beginning in verse number 17 as our text over the next several weeks. And I'd like you to think together with me about the meaning of the incarnation and specifically what it means that Jesus is the Messiah the anointed one. In Luke chapter 4, we'll find that Jesus is about one year into his earthly ministry. And at this point, Jesus is very popular, having done many miracles and many people following after him because of some of the, the, uh, the acclaim or the fame of who he was and what he was accomplishing And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is there in Nazareth, in his hometown, if you will, where he was brought up by Joseph and Mary, where he grew up and he was well known. And in this passage, Jesus comes into the synagogue, and it, it was there on the Sabbath day that he was recognized and was asked to read. And so he asked for the scroll from the book of Isaiah, and they brought the scroll of Isaiah to him, and they turned to what we would identify today as Isaiah chapter 61, and Jesus read the first couple verses of Isaiah chapter 61, and then he told those who were assembled there on that day that they were witnesses of those words coming true. And the people were puzzled. They didn't understand exactly what Jesus was talking about, but they wondered about his gracious words that he spoke. But then shortly, based on some things, some comments that he made to them, they became very, very angry with Jesus. And uh, they were so angry, in fact, that they would have killed him if God had permitted them to do so. Now, in the context of what Jesus said and the passage that he read from the from the book of Isaiah, there's a great explanation of why Jesus came and what it is exactly that Jesus came to do. And so I'll direct your attention this morning to Luke chapter 4, verse number 17. The scripture says, There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor." He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now you'll notice that Jesus is attributing this great prophecy 
from Isaiah chapter 61 to himself. And those who were present would have recognized this as a messianic prophecy, as a prophecy made by Isaiah, the man of God, several hundred years before this time that Jesus is reading those words. And it was a prediction of what the Messiah would come to do. You'll notice in the text, in verse 17 and 18, that the scripture says that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he was anointed. And the, the, the term that we sometimes use to refer to Jesus, Messiah, means anointed one, the one who is chosen. And Jesus here is saying, the Spirit of God has come upon me, I've been anointed with power, and notice what he is anointed with power to do, to preach the gospel to the poor. Now this morning we're going to be focusing primarily on the first part of preaching the gospel to the poor, which is found in that phrase, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. But I want you just for a moment by way of introduction to think with me what it means to preach the gospel to the poor. Because sometimes we think in our mind, the poor, oh, the poor, that's, that's the people who don't have much in the way of the world. You know, they, they live in difficult circumstances. Maybe they don't have much to eat or they don't have much money in their savings account or maybe they don't have a, a, a good job and they have trouble providing things for their family. But that is not what Jesus is referring to, although certainly those kind of people need to hear the gospel. Rather, Jesus is speaking about those who are spiritually impoverished. And when he says that he has come to preach the gospel, he says that he is bringing good news. Good news to those who are spiritually impoverished. Good news to those who are spiritually famished. Good news to those who have the deep spiritual awareness of their need. What is spiritual poverty? Well, in the scriptures we find that spiritual poverty could be summed up in this description. It is the damage that comes from the presence of sin in one's life. When sin is present, it brings tremendous damage. And we're going to see that this morning. And Jesus says, I've come to find those kind of people who've been damaged by sin, and I have good news for them. In other places, Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus was often referring to his mission in coming to this world. The whole reason of his incarnation was to come and publish or preach good news to those who are spiritually poor. Now, you might well ask the question this morning, who is it exactly that is spiritually impoverished then? Well, that would be all of us. That would be every one of us. And, and this morning, if you say, well, that's not me. Uh, that, that, that's never been me. I, I, I'm just not that kind of a person. Well, it's especially for you. But the truth is that we sometimes have trouble recognizing that. And we'll talk about this a little bit as we proceed forward in the message. But notice that Jesus comes to publish or preach the gospel to those who are poor. How will Jesus do this? How will he preach the gospel to those who are spiritually impoverished? 
Well, our subject today in verse 18, He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I want you to consider with me what it means that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Notice with me, first of all, the heart that sin has broken. When Jesus speaks about a heart that is broken, that needs to be healed, that word brokenhearted means something that is completely shattered and crushed or broken in pieces. Have you ever dropped a dish out of your hands as you were carrying it and it hit the floor and went into smithereens? It just went everywhere, all over the place. And we, we like to joke at our house because we have six children, we don't buy expensive dishes. It's just not a good investment of our money. So we buy dishes that if they break, we don't mind. It's all right. Because as the kids are putting dishes away, of course, there's times when the dish slips and something breaks. Truth be told, there are times when I drop dishes. Even my wife will sometimes drop a dish. And it goes into a lot of pieces. And then you've got to clean up all of the brokenness. Have you ever seen a dish that was dropped on the floor and really just shattered? Did you ever say, get a bottle of glue, we'll put it back together? It's not worth the effort, is it? Just sweep it up. I mean, that's a puzzle that you're never going to solve. Just sweep it up. It'll never be the same. Put it in the garbage and go buy a new one. Go to Walmart and get a different one. It'll be a lot easier than trying to put that together. Okay, now think about this. Jesus said he came to heal those who are completely shattered, who are crushed by the presence of sin in their life. Do you realize this morning that everything that is wrong and bad and loathsome in this world can be traced back to the sin of man? It really is the truth that sin is the plague of plagues. It is a disease that we all are infected with, and it brings tremendous brokenness in our lives. The curse of sin has touched God's beautiful creation with ugliness, disease, and death on every hand. No matter where we look, we see that sin has touched it, and destruction and death is left in the wake. Now, Jesus says he's come to address this brokenness. What brokenness? Well, sin not only causes brokenness in the external man. These are the things that we see so apparently as we look at one another. We, we find ways to cover it up and make each other feel good. Did you ever have anybody say, I haven't seen you in 20 years and you look like you haven't aged one day. They're lying to you. And they're hoping that you will tell them the same thing. Oh, you look so young as well, because we all want to feel good about the fact that we're not aging. But the newsflash is we're all aging. Maybe the reason we say things like that is because, well, I'm aging, you're aging. Let's just pretend like it's not happening, like we're not on our way to the grave. I told my kids the other day, I said, we're all in the process of dying. Oh, that's a depressing thought, isn't it? But that's the reality that sin brings. Death, disease, 
all kinds of discouraging circumstances that take place in our life, crime and and, uh, things that are done from one person to another, lives that are harmed. We read about this kind of stuff in the news every day. We open the paper or our browser to see what's going on in the world, and it's nothing but one bad thing after another, after another, after another. And you say, what in the world is going on? What's going on is we live in a world that is in the process of being crushed by sin. But it's not just the external that is affected. It's also the inner man that's affected. This morning, as I'm speaking about this idea that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, I know for a fact that there are many people who are sitting here who have experienced the brokenness of sin in your own life. We we put a smile on our face. When somebody asks us, how are you doing today? We say, doing great. But on the inside, we're affected. We can be broken by our own sin, by our failure, by the hopelessness that comes when you're trying to do your very best to please God and no matter how hard you try, you keep failing over and over and over again. And it can cause a brokenness within when you realize your sin more and more and you come to the stunning truth that there is not one thing you can do to make yourself better in the eyes of God. It brings brokenness. Also, we're broken by our own sin because we have broken relationships. And those relationships are affected because of our sin, because of anger or impatience or a lack of flexibility or some sort of behavior that offended the other person. And now the, the relationship is compromised. It's, it's not the same as what it was. We find ourselves at times hurting the people that we love the most, and it pains us to realize that our sin is not just affecting us, but it's affecting others. Can any of you dads identify with this? Get upset? Say some things out of turn? And see the pain in your children's face as they respond, as they react to the hurtful words that you shared with them in anger. And it smites your heart and you realize, my sin has affected my child. Broken relationships. Many people are weighed down, even this morning, by guilt and shame from past decisions. Guilt and shame that becomes a part of who you are. So much that as you think about who you are, all you can think about is the wrong decisions that you've made, the the wrong turns that you've taken. And people can become defined by their faults, by their sins, and by their addictions, by the things that they've fallen prey to, the sin that has weighed heavily in their life and is crushing them down. Are people broken today? All around us. All around us, people are broken by sin. Broken by your own sin, but also broken by the sin of others. And it's true that we live in a world where you and I are sinners, but all the people around us are also sinners. And because of that, things happen in this world that are unspeakable. Now, I'm thankful, very thankful, that though we are all sinners... 
not everyone is as bad of a sinner as they could be. That's a blessing. Because if we all lived up to our full potential of sin, this world would be an awful, awful place. So I'm thankful, but at the same time, there is no denying the fact that there are those who have been abused and hurt by others. There's probably people who are sitting here this morning who have felt the sting of physical, mental, spiritual, sexual abuse in your life. And it weighs on you. And you carry it like a burden because of the pain of the past. It's true that we live in a world that is broken. And there are those who take their own pain out on other people around them. Sometimes this brokenness is defined as people thinking that they're worthless because of how they've been treated. They've struggled through their life with thinking that they're just worth nothing because they've been treated like trash for their whole life. And they don't understand the value that God places upon them. Many people are broken. You'll you'll find them as you are out and about in society, interacting with people, especially as you're sharing the hope that is found in Christ. You'll look into people's eyes and you'll realize how broken they are. I remember one time a couple years ago on evangelism on a Thursday night in Allentown. My son was with me. I think my son, maybe my daughter was with me. And we were walking up and down the streets and we came to a porch And I went up on that porch and there was a lady sitting there and I handed her a gospel tract and engaged her in spiritual conversation. It became very apparent to me that she was a prostitute and that she was broken in her life and she had such pain. And she spoke about some of the pain in her life. And I'll never forget because she asked me before I left, she said, would you pray for me? And I said, yeah, I'll pray for you right now. And I prayed for her that God would work in her life. I have no idea whatever happened to her, but I'm telling you that when I looked into her eyes, I saw brokenness. I saw a woman who had faced terrible things in her life and had gone after sin, and her life was completely shattered because of what had happened to her. Many people are physically or emotionally affected because of someone else's choice. Their life has changed because of decisions that someone else has made. And their life seems to be turned upside down. Is there brokenness in this world? Absolutely. And as it happens, all of us have experienced this brokenness to some degree or another because all of us are sinners. And sin leaves man without hope of change. Sin leaves us in a place where we are completely broken down. That is, sin tears our lives apart. Can you see it? Can you look back in your life and see that this is exactly what sin has done in your life? Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted. That's the heart that sin has broken. Maybe you can identify with that this morning. But then notice the healing that is necessary. Because though Jesus mentions the brokenhearted, it's in a positive or affirmative way. Jesus is saying he has come, he's anointed by the Spirit of God to heal 
the brokenhearted. Remember our illustration of the, the bowl or the dish that falls and shatters all over the floor? And your, your solution and my solution is sweep it up and throw it away and get something else. That is not God's solution. God is not interested in throwing away that which is broken. God wants to bring healing. And the word healing means to cure or to make it whole. And when God puts something back together, he makes it better than it was to begin with. The reason we don't put things back together most of the time is because it's usually going to be inferior and it's going to break again not too long down the road. And it's going to be a lot of effort for not much value in return. But when Jesus puts something back together, when he provides healing, he's able to cure it or to make it completely whole. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. This is why Jesus came. Jesus did not come to provide good vibes for religious people. Jesus came to find the people who are broken down by sin and give them hope that they could be whole again. When we think about the Christmas season and the incarnation of Jesus Christ, let us be reminded that God is in the business of redemption. God is in the business of complete and thorough healing. And only God can provide the healing balm that man is desperately in need of. The sad truth is man is often busy trying to provide his own healing through religion. And there's lots of religions that are out there today that are telling men, if you'll just follow our list of rules, if you'll become a member of our group, if you'll, if you'll do the things that we tell you, then there's a pretty good chance that you'll be okay with God one of these days. You know, man's religion, the best that they can offer is a hope-so salvation. But God is not in the business of offering hope-so salvation. He's offering no-so salvation because He wants to put you completely back together. Lots of religion is offering people false hope, which is why religion becomes a great burden to many people. Because all it is is a list of things to do and not do, and you hope that if you do well enough that God will accept you. But Bible salvation is very different from that. Not only religion, but man is also trying to follow the doctrine of self-help. Telling people, you just need to learn how to think positive thoughts. In your brokenness, just think happy thoughts. I mean, just think about flowers and birds and, and blue water and everything will be nice. And if you just imagine that it's not happening, then everything will be wonderful. Or maybe you can find a little bit of a, a place where you can meditate and you can get into a meditative state and zone out and your problems will go away. And they're trying to tell people these are the answers for life apart from God. Self-help doesn't help. Self-help doesn't fix the wound that people have deep in their soul. All self-help can do is put a veneer over the top, a covering, but underneath there's still a spiritual disease. A third thing that men are trying to do, and this is really common today in people whose lives are broken, is they just say, don't worry about it. 
Just go after what you want. It's called hedonism. Just live however you want. I mean, we're only here for a short time. Just pretend that you aren't sick and that sin is actually good and go do whatever you want. Just give yourself with abandon to the sin of this world. Go after whatever you want and pour yourself into it and you'll be happy. And at least you'll be happy for a little while and then you'll die and there's nothing after death anyway, so don't worry about it. This life is all there is. Which, if that's true, that there is nothing after this life, that seems like maybe a good way to live. But they're not taking into account the spiritual truth that one day every one of us will stand before God. And they're also missing the fact that hedonism leaves people more broken than when they started. People go after this world and the pleasure and the the vain things and they think it's going to fill them up. And it's like what happens on Thanksgiving Day when you had all that turkey and stuffing and gravy and mashed potatoes and all that other stuff, and then they brought out the pie. And you convinced yourself that you needed a slice of pecan, apple, pumpkin, and name one more, I don't know, chocolate. And so you put all four slices on your plate and you started eating, and maybe about halfway through you thought, oh. Not a good decision. And did this happen to anyone? No, don't tell us. Not a good decision. I think I should have not been so greedy. You know, that's exactly what this world does to people. It leaves them with a deep aching. If you want to know what what it's like or what happens to people, you could go to the book of Ecclesiastes. And you could read about a man who gave himself to mirth and to, and to just pursuing after the things of this world. And he went after it all. And then he said, it's just vanity. It's empty. It's worthless. There's nothing to it. Hedonism is not going to fill the void that is in your soul. Hedonism is not going to heal you. Jesus said he has come to heal the brokenhearted. In other words, Jesus is the only one that can make us whole. He's the only one that can mend the broken heart. Praise God for that. You know, our biggest problem is not that there's no healing. Our biggest problem is getting to the place where we recognize that we need the healing. Jesus said to some men, who were criticizing him in Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus came to provide salvation, healing, mending, putting back together broken hearts and broken lives But before you can take advantage of what Jesus came to offer, you actually have to recognize that you have a need. So many people are so busy going about trying to put their own life back together that they haven't recognized that they're failing at it and they desperately need Jesus. So you see, Jesus came to provide healing to people who have been broken by sin. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8 with me for just a few minutes. Heal the brokenhearted. 
And I want you to see an example of this in Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 8. Jesus dealt with a woman who was completely broken by sin. And some men who had no hope to offer to her in John chapter 8. Look at verse 1. The scripture says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came down unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, jo- now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst." When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What a powerful picture of Jesus coming to heal the brokenhearted. As I was pondering this passage, and I don't want to preach a whole message here from John chapter 8, but I want to point out to you how this is exactly what Jesus said he came to do. A woman is brought to Jesus having sinned. There's no doubt about it. In fact, Jesus is told this woman has been caught in adultery, meaning she was caught in sexual sin with someone who is not her husband in the very act. I don't have any idea how they caught her or how it was that she was brought, but the man that she was sinning with was not brought. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't really add up. Perhaps there was some other things. Surely there were some other things going on in the background. But suffice it to say that here's a woman who has done wrong. There's no denying it. She doesn't argue or try to talk her way out of it. She doesn't try to present any justification or say that she didn't do any such thing. She's just quiet. And and these men, they're religious men. They're bringing this woman, notice this, they're bringing this woman with this problem before Jesus and they are using her to trap Jesus, to discredit Jesus. They're hoping that Jesus will say the wrong thing. Isn't that awful though? Religious men are willing to use someone who is broken so that they can promote their agenda, so that they can gain more power and discredit Jesus. There's no regard for the life of this woman. There's no interest in her having her life healed or put back together. There's only the condemnation and hopefully the trapping of Jesus. So they bring her to Jesus. And 
you know the story. We just read it. As they're talking to Jesus and asking Jesus with their sweet, syrupy, dripping voices, now, what should we do with this woman? Moses said that we should stone her. And I like what it says there in verse 6. Jesus just knelt down and he started to write with his finger on the ground, maybe in the dirt that was there, or if they were in a building, the dust that was on the floor. I don't know. But he just ignored them. Didn't say anything to them. He, it says he pretended that he didn't hear them. And, and so they became insistent. Hey, Jesus, we're talking to you. We're looking for an answer. You need to give us an answer. You're supposed to be a religious teacher. If you're such big stuff, why don't you tell us what to do? And so Jesus, there it says, lifted himself up in verse 7. And he looked at these men who were gathered around and he said, okay, well, If any of you men are without sin, whoever's free of sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And then he knelt back down and he started writing on the ground some more. I think one of the questions that all of us want answered in heaven is, what was he writing on the ground? We want to know what he he was writing. Was he doodling pictures there? Was he writing accusations against these men of things they had done? Was he writing out the law of Moses. I don't know what he was doing. The scripture doesn't tell us. But whatever he was doing, paired together with the question that he asked, resulted in these men in shame, putting their heads down one by one and leaving and walking away as Jesus is writing. And after a little while, Jesus stood back up. There's no men left. It's just him and a woman who's been caught in adultery. And Jesus looked at this woman and he said, where'd your accusers go? She said, they're not here, Lord. Listen to what Jesus said in verse number 11. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now you say, why, why would Jesus not condemn? Isn't he the judge, the righteous judge? Isn't he going to hold people accountable for their sin? Yes. Yes, it's true. But Jesus knew something about this woman. And he knew something about his purpose on this earth. And he knew that this woman would have the opportunity to never have her sin held against her Because he himself was going to go to the cross. And he would take her adultery upon himself. And there on the cross, he would suffer the wrath of God the Father for her adultery. And he says to this woman, go and sin no more. He did not ignore her sin. He recognized that the sin was destructive, that the sin had brought great great brokenness into her life. He recognized that that sin was something that was preying upon her, and he said to her, go and sin no more. Now, we don't know everything about this woman, her response, where she went from here, but I rather think, based on the words of Jesus to her, this woman put her faith in Jesus Christ, and her life was dramatically changed from this moment. From this moment... Her heart, which was broken, was healed. Because Jesus is the healer. He has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're here today and you say, 
I don't know if I'm really good enough for God. Oh, you're exactly the person that God is looking for. Because you've come to the place where you've realized that you can't be good enough for Him. That's why Jesus came. That's why He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. He did that so that He could find people who were broken. And He could offer them forgiveness. And He could put their life back together again. And then... He can say, this is a trophy of my grace. Now think with me for just a moment this morning. What about you? Have you ever come to Jesus for healing from your sin? Maybe you're here today and you're longing to be set free from guilt and shame, to be accepted by God. I'm telling you based upon the authority of God's word, that if that describes you, you can come to Christ today. You can obey the gospel, believe on Jesus Christ, turn from your sin, and you'll find that Jesus Christ can rescue you from the sin that dwells within. That sin will bring you down to destruction, but Jesus can bring you life if you'll turn to Him, if you'll only trust Him. Many of you would say today, I have experienced this spiritual healing. I have seen that. And some of you, I know your testimony, at least a small part of it. And you could stand today and say, I'm, I'm a living example of someone who was broken and Jesus healed me. Jesus gave me life. Jesus restored me. Praise God for that. When is the last time that you thanked him for what he's done? When is the last time that you took a a good look at the past and realized what you used to be and what you are now and said, I could never do this myself. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Maybe this morning you know someone who's in a desperate place of hopelessness because of sin. If you know Jesus, you have the answer. You know the one that can put their life back together. How could you go to them this week and extend the forgiveness and healing of Jesus to them. How could you admonish them to come to Jesus who heals the brokenhearted? What a wonderful Savior we have this morning.